0: Are you ready to take your mindset to an even higher level on and off the mat? Then you're ready for the BJJ Mental Coach Podcast, where jiu-jitsu practitioners open their minds to new ideas and concepts about personal development, entrepreneurship, jiu-jitsu, and life. Our mission is to inspire, impact, and or improve your life in some way to support you during your consistent pursuit of becoming the best version of yourself personally and professionally. It's time to go beyond the mat with the host of the BJJ Mental Coach Podcast, Gustavo Dantas.
1: Welcome to episode 123. I'm your host, Gustavo Dantas, and today we have the Aaron fans. I'm going to give a quick Introduction here. Aaron is a black belt under the four-time world champion Bernardo Faria. And he has a long entrepreneurial career, which has included such ventures as the Jiu-Jitsu, Gainesville Digital Agency, and Rise Canine Training. For the last seven years, he has worked for Fanatics LLC. And it has part of the growth of BJJ Fanatics, the world's premier resource for digital BJJ instruction and Aaron welcome to the podcast thanks man thanks for having me I'm a big fan cool and for people don't know too we can even we can talk a little bit about your YouTube channel matter of fact that's how I found out about you and your work I'm always researching studying jujitsu, and looking to different things sometimes I go in there's a specific topic that I want per se right so I just go and I'll just listen to what people have to say and to or to share so I just go go over a bunch of them that's how i i found you and i saw some different videos i like man i like and i was watching when you were because you 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 got your black belt recently right fairly yep.
2: recently yep just about three months ago now
1: yeah so i've been watching uh maybe a few years ago when when you started so really good channel man congratulations for people who don't know can you maybe explain a little more or give your yeah belt, for sure you know?
2: Yeah, my channel is Aaron Benzrahem BJJ. It's kind of a mouthful. So it's if you type in Aaron Benz on YouTube, I'm sure some of the videos will pop up. But I started that channel. It's funny because, you know, a lot of the discussion here will probably be about entrepreneurship. And one of my mentors in entrepreneurship and jiu-jitsu has been my coach, Bernardo Faria. And Bernardo has a theory that anybody who is, you know, competitive and wants to make a living off of jiu or have some type of monetization for their jiu-jitsu should have a YouTube channel. Because as you know, those who do jujitsu, everybody has something to share. Everybody has their own unique interpretation on some certain technique. And, you know, fortunately for me, with Bernardo leading the way with his YouTube channel, he would tell me, he's like, man, you're a good instructor. Why don't you start a YouTube? And I was always kind of shy to do it. But he was like, look, I'm telling you, just film one video and, you know, see how it does and go from there. And I started it a year and a half or two years ago. And I have uh, over about 7,000 subscribers and then tons of views. I mean, almost a million or maybe a little bit over a million views now total. And it's just incredible, man. It's it's. Uh, I said when I started the channel, I was like, if I can help one person's jujitsu, my mission here is accomplished. And it's grown so far beyond that. And it, it keeps me motivated to make it. And for anybody who's aspiring to find a way to monetize their jujitsu, it's a long-term investment because you don't make much money off of YouTube initially. But again, long-term for the time put in, five years or 10 years down the road, if you get to you know 50,000, 100,000 subscribers, it, it's going to bring in a couple thousand dollars a month and you'll be able to re uh, recoup that time that you put in in the beginning
1: with some revenue. That's cool. And something that you mentioned too, I think a lot of people in your a similar boat that they, they might be thinking about starting a channel, say like, man, I'm just a brown belt or maybe I'm a purple belt. Yep. You know what I mean? So if you let that voice, you know, hold you back, you wouldn't, you know, I probably even I wouldn't even know. Maybe it would take me longer to find out about you. That's how I found 100%. out is through through YouTube, you know. So I think it's a it's a good inspiration for a lot of people who haven't achieved the black belt and they like, man, why people would watch me or whatever. So if yeah. you have the passion for what you do and you're knowledgeable man, just put it out there. So yeah. Congratulations, man, you know, really cool channel. So I'm always, you know, uh, that's one of the, one of the channels that I'm, you know, in any chance I have, I'm looking at a topic and I see that you teach and i go there and check it out. So really cool. I appreciate that. So tell us, man, how jujitsu, martial arts in general, or more specifically jujitsu show up in your life.
2: Yeah, so I was actually a, a pretty bad kid when I was younger. I'm 27, and I started jujitsu jitsu when I was 15 years old. I can't remember exactly now. I was like at the end of 14 to 15 because I remember I was in high school. And I had been doing some boxing classes because I would get into some fights and just was kind of an aggressive kid, a little misguided. And my parents were like, we should try martial arts. So we tried uh, boxing, and then I did some Jeet Kundo when I was 12, 13, and 14. And I remember getting to the grappling portion of Jeet Kune Do and thinking it was incredible. And I was a fan of like the UFC and mixed martial arts. So a gym, a nogi gym run by like a purple belt opened up you know, five minutes from my house. And I was like, mom, take me there, I wanna try it. And man, the first day, first lesson I was hooked. Because at this point I had two or three years of martial arts experience and I had some grappling experience. And the minute I walked in and started the sparring, I went with the instructor who was a purple belt. And I remember I, I told this story uh, on another podcast I did. He grabbed my wrist, put his feet on my hips, lifted me in the air for like a nagi, and I ended up in an arm bar, and I had no idea what happened. And I was like, that's it. I'm done. I have to do this. Like, I have to learn how to do that. And from there, the rest is history. I've pretty much been 100% consistent since that day. I took a couple months off my senior year of high school when I was, you know, busy doing other things like chasing girls and yeah. just being a young man. And then I got back into it more than ever in college. And I actually didn't start the Gi until I was 18 in college. And that was when I started training every day.
1: Right. On. And what did you say? I know it was a long time ago, but what did you say some of the benefits that you maybe you notice or even your family notice or you training jujitsu? Man, the down, benefit, how was it?
2: They, they were instantaneous. For somebody who's kind of okay, so if you want a little context for who I am, I was the middle child and I had a younger sister who's three years younger and an older brother who's two years older. And my older and younger siblings, they got the athletic genes. You know, people that see me now are like, oh, you're athletic. I'm like, no, no, no. My brother was extremely athletic. I'm talking like 40-yard dash is a good metric to measure athleticism. He could do it in 4.4 seconds, a real 4.4 seconds. He was incredible. And he had all these, you know, soccer scholarship opportunities. And my sister was the same. And for me, I was, like I said, I was misguided. I was, you know, being aggressive, getting into fights because I didn't like any of the sports. So the minute I fell in love with jujitsu the way that I did, I immediately calmed down. I immediately found something to cling to, something that I was passionate about. And just having an outlet like that for, you know, a growing young boy or girl, I think is important because you become surrounded by people that are like-minded. And I think one of the benefits of jujitsu for the younger crowd, specifically the teenagers, is that you get immersed into an adult community. So you're kind of forced to mature with the level of the people that you're around. You know, you talk to doctors, lawyers, and for somebody who's 14, 15, 16, you can get into a lot of dumb things, right? There's a lot of influences at that age. But when you have those influences guiding you, it, man, it's, it's the benefits are endless and it's immeasurable how good that is for a kid like that.
1: Yeah. I think one of the most uh, common things that we hear in Jitsu, I started when I was 14, about 14 or 15. But I think one of the common thing that you hear is everyone's like, man, I wish I had started younger. You know what I yeah. mean? That, that's yeah. something. And I would have so much fun as a kid if I did have an opportunity to get involved with training or competing and now it's interesting that um we're recording this may 2021 i always like to mention the the date. might someone might be listening this in 10 years from now but now i'm getting because i used to teach kids many 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 years ago and for many years i did and now i've been teaching the teens which is like uh the class about 10 or to 13 so it has been like a you know a, a really cool experience and challenge for me, but like bringing me back like, man, how much fun would I have if I had the opportunity to get involved with with competitions and yeah. I'm actually prepared to just um, send like a letter to to the parents because we're going to start like now having competitions. There are a lot of new students and kind of introduce to them mm-hmm. talking about the, the benefits. I ask like what are some of the benefits you have noticed in class? And I always mention uh, for anyone that is listening and then you have kids training, and you and if you've been training jiu-jitsu for a while, you know that I mean you don't you don't have to compete to yeah. experience the benefits of jiu-jitsu. However, if you want to amplify the power of this personal development tool called jiu-jitsu, competition is a great way to do so. And that's what I try to share with them. That taught me a, one of the biggest Lessons that I learned you just right at the beginning is you don't get things that you want, the time that you want, any way you want. Like, I'm going, I want to win this tournament. I'm gonna win because I want to win. Like, no, 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 no. Things aren't always like that, you know, and that teach kids young that you're not always gonna get the job that you want, you're not gonna always close the deal that you want or the time that you want. So I think those lessons little by little start to get into them. So I'm a huge fan of competition, especially individual sport like that in jujitsu to teach that sense of personal responsibility, you know, for them. I was
2: really well put on how it amplifies the benefits you're already getting, because it's true, man, you learn so quickly in a competitive aspect. When you go to your first, second, third, fourth competition, even 50th, that you get what you put in, you know, you can't go twice a week and expect to beat somebody who's training six days a week, twice a day. And it's really important for not just kids, for adults, even at a certain point to learn that, because it it just shows you that, like I said, you get what you put in and competition does amplify all the benefits of jujitsu. And like, just like you, because I taught at Bernardos for three years. And before that, I taught and students always ask me, should I compete? And I would always tell them, you don't need to compete. It's not a necessity. You're still going to get benefits. You're still going to grow as a practitioner. But if you compete, the experience is worth so much more. Outside the realm of jujitsu because you're gonna learn so many things about yourself and so many other things because competition is nerve-wracking. You learn how to deal with the pressure, you learn how to react under pressure, you learn how to control your emotions. There's just so many other benefits that I think it's I I would recommend people to try competing at least once, but again, if they don't want to, I understand that as well. Everybody's different, so
1: yeah, and I mean this is a no-brainer, of course, uh question for you, but it's like if you think about all the years that you have in training, and you had two journeys one that you have never competed before, and which would it be great? You just make a great impact in your life, you'd feel self confident, you know, all that stuff would be great. But you cannot even imagine this whole journey without the competition. There's the comparison of the emotional, the mental growth that you have from experience those you cannot even compare it would be a such a completely different journey again it's just it gets amplified in such a crazy way you know that yeah um, man highly recommend it
2: yeah it's an interesting question to ask what would my journey have been like without competing because i i've competed so many times that it would be so much different i bet i mean it also gives you confidence to know, right? Like, yeah. I, I think when you compete and you go out there and see, what, you know, what it's like to test yourself against somebody who you don't know, who's legitimately trying to get after you at their best and most potential, I think it gives you the confidence to know when you're in the gym that you've been there, you've done that, and that, you know, it's almost a more humbling experience. I find that competitors, um, unless they're going with each other, don't have as much ego when they roll in the gym because they know they, they're going to compete against other people. Uh, again, unless it's a competition class,
1: then it's people are going crazy. Right? Yeah, for sure. So now tell us when was your first entrepreneurial journey, uh, when you, when your entrepreneurial journey started, when was your first entrepreneurial endeavor that you start, you know, kind of, is that something that early you felt like you're always geared towards that, uh, towards entrepreneurship?
2: I guess the the parallels between why I fell in love with Jiu Jitsu would also be why I fell in love with entrepreneurship and it goes back to that misguided teenage mentality that I had. I was always a rebel I didn't want to play by the rules, and I never really saw myself being somebody who would get a degree and, and get a job based off of that degree it just wasn't something I wanted to do. Partially because I didn't like the fact that somebody would control the outcome of my life, meaning you know the level of income that you can get would likely be controlled. Obviously, there's always exceptions. You know, you can get a degree and start a business still. I'm not speaking out negatively against school whatsoever at all. I'm just saying in my particular scenario, I grew up in a family where my father owned businesses, and I would see him flourish and expand, and I also see him crash and and lose things. I was I was fortunate to see the ups and the downs. There was times when things were great and he was driving a Porsche. And there was times when his car was getting repoed. And, you know, he went and just bought a jalopy. So seeing that and watching him, I knew that the one thing that through the ups and the downs that remained consistent was his ability to control the outcome. And I think that that resonated with me. And my first journey was when I was 18. And it goes to it goes to that point of controlling your outcome. I was obsessed with jujitsu. And I was nowhere near good enough to get a sponsor. I was like a fourth striped white belt and I had done like two competitions and I hadn't even won but I was like man I wish I had a sponsor to you know support me to go compete more it was expensive as a, I was in college it was an expensive journey so I talked to my older brother who was also in college and he doesn't do jiu-jitsu much you know he's trained with me a handful of times and you know he he was like you should just sponsor yourself start something and so going back to controlling my own outcome, I was like, you know, I do want to do that. I I want to sponsor myself. So I looked at what brands I wanted sponsors from and drew inspiration from them. And I started a company called The Jiu Jitsu with my brother. And I knew nothing about website development, social media or anything like that. But I went to the, the University of YouTube, typed in some videos and watched how to build a website, how to market that website, how to build a brand hours upon hours upon hours, and the excitement that I had during that time period, I don't think I've felt anything like that to this day. Like my first endeavor, like I would go to bed at 4 a.m. and wake up at 7 a.m. ready because I just wanted to keep growing that thing with this goal of sponsoring myself. And it worked. We, we started that company, the Jiu-Jitsu. The Facebook grew to over 20,000 likes. The Instagram grew to 5,000 likes. We had articles trend with over a million reads. And we started to monetize it with a brand. We had a, a guy make a logo for us. I took all the pictures, the video, I I built the website. I did everything. My brother was kind of like my investor who gave me like a couple hundred bucks to buy some hats. And with like a couple hundred bucks, I grew that business to where we sold, I think it was like over $30,000 worth of hats and I got to compete for free. I just used the money to pay for my competitions and I sponsored myself. So that, that right there, was enough proof of concept for me to take that mold and start to expand it which that led me to all my other endeavors and businesses and to where I am today for example I took the recipe from that business because I didn't do well with the finances and I was like you know what instead of struggling to get merchandise and sell it I was like why don't I take the skill sets that I attributed towards that and I should go and freelance those for somebody who needs that so then I started my next company at about uh, I was 20 21, which was Gainesville Digital Agency, where I would basically build websites, Facebook market, take the exact same template I used for the jiu-jitsu and apply it to other businesses. And I, I got a bunch of accounts paying a monthly fee to do that. And it grew really well. And then that business opened the door to me being the senior product manager today for Fanatics because I met Bernardo through that business. It was a combination of both. So, and I can tell that story if you want.
1: Yes, sir. Let's do it. Yeah.
2: Basically, what happened was I had the jujitsu. I put it on the back burner for Gainesville Digital Agency to see which would make more money. And I found out that I was pretty passionate about both. So to start back the jujitsu, I was like, let me interview somebody because we used to do a lot of interviews. And I chose Bernardo. And I was, at the time I was 20 or 21 and I interviewed Bernardo and we had a 20 minute interview that was good, but our phone call was about two hours long and we discussed business because he was becoming extremely passionate about business. And so what ended up happening was he found out that I had done this digital marketing with Gainesville Digital Agency, that I was a Jiu Jitsu purple Belt at the time. And he was like, Hey, you know, my partner, Michael Zenga, and I just started BJJ Fanatics and we need guys like you. You know, we literally just started it. Would you like to jump on board and help us? And at the time I was a little skeptical because I hadn't heard of it, but I was like, yeah, sure. I'll do some blogs for you. I'll do some SEO based writing and let's see how it goes. And so I did a couple blogs and they loved the content. And so they said, can you do this? And one thing led to another, and this was six or seven years ago. And fortunately I was pretty much the first employee there. And I just continued to grow and become a pivotal part of the growth for the overall company and I'm still with them today, full-time, more than full-time, and it's been a great journey growing with a company like that, because it it's, it's something that I truly believe in, the mission, you know, it's bringing world-class jiu-jitsu, and more now, world-class wrestling, world-class conditioning, to the palm of people's hands, which I think is where the future is going to be for a, a lot of people with different outlets, different sports, and yeah, man, the rest is Pretty much history. It's it's been it's been incredible. There's been other businesses in there that were like side jobs and you know, my wife and I own a dog training business. But I was gonna
1: ask you about that rice canine training, right?
2: Yeah. So after being with Fanatics, so in my journey with Fanatics, Bernardo and Michael persuaded me to move to Boston. Half to train with Bernardo and to teach at his academy and manage his academy and half to grow with the company. Even though I work remote, I wanted to be more in person. So I moved to Boston three and a half years ago. I lived there for three years. And I went there with my, at the time, girlfriend who became my fiance. And having known what I knew in the past with websites and marketing and everything that I do for Fanatics, I told her to quit her job. And I kind of, I'm not going to take responsibility for it or she's going to watch this and yell at me, but I feel like I helped mold her into an entrepreneur because she didn't come from that background. And she was the head dog trainer at Petco Boston, which is one of the nation's largest petcos. And she was responsible for training hundreds of dogs. And I would ask her, I was like, what's your pay? Like, what what do they do? And they would do an hourly rate with like a 20% commission per account. And I thought that that was selling herself short so badly. I was like, think about this. And I I just showed her the math. I'm like, if you do a hundred dogs and you get 20% of the commission in a month, imagine if you just did 50 and you got a hundred percent of the proceeds. And she was really skeptical. She's like, I don't know if I have the confidence. I don't know if I want to do it. The same emotions that any first time business owner would have. But I kept pushing her. I would just keep nudging her like, come on, let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do it. I'll, You know, I'll do everything for you on the digital end. You just got to be the face of it and train. And so finally, she's like, okay, build me a website. You know, let's work together on it. I'll tell you what to say. So together, we created this website. We created the Facebook, the Instagram. We created brochures, business cards, all the typical elements of a business. And it was a little bit unique in a sense that it was my first, uh, you know, business in the pet industry, but it was, it was still a service-based industry, which I was managing Bernardo's Academy. So a lot, there was a lot of parallels between how you acquire clients there and how you acquire clients at the Academy. There was a lot of parallels with how I acquired clients for Gainesville Digital Agency and, it grew and it grew so quickly it grew to the point where we could have hired more employees but she didn't want to and it, she was full within four weeks she had 30 dogs a week she was doing five dogs a week five days a week six days a week it got to seven i think she had 36 dogs a week at one point and uh it was it was incredible man and and she's thrilled that she did it she, she it, Look, when you control your outcome, the possibilities are endless. I can tell you from um, you know, fiscal standpoint that she made what she made at Petco in a year and a month. And it's, you know, we just recently moved to Florida. We took the exact same template that we used in Boston and we applied it to Florida. And once again, it's growing to the point where we have a waiting list. And I, I don't ever push her because although we're 50-50 on the business, it's her baby.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And she's the boss. I listen to her. I to me, I'm like, let's get a store. Let's hire people. Let's expand. And she's like, look, we're not dying. We're not desperate for money. We didn't start this business to make money. We started it because I'm passionate about what I do, you know, and and I let her kind of control that. I think as she gets more and more and more comfortable, one day you'll see some rice canine trainings pop up all over the place, but we'll see.
1: Beautiful, man. That's really cool. Congrats. Big props to her taking, as you mentioned, the first step is always the, the tough one. You know, uh, should I do it? Should I not do it? So, what did you say in all your entrepreneurial journey? What are some of the biggest struggles, regardless of what business that you went through, that you just had no idea?
2: I mean, the first, the most intimidating factor is always the unknown, right? The cause of anxiety is is unknown. It's things that are out of your control, and so I think that the first factor that anyone should ever consider and what I was most nervous about and what was the biggest speed bump was just starting and anytime I started doing something that I didn't know how to do like the anxiety associated with figuring it out you know for example I attribute my growth with fanatics to the position where I'm at now and I'm sure uh, Michael Zeng and Bernardo would agree I never said no no matter what they asked me in the beginning before it was huge they're like do you know how to uh, code this yeah, I can figure it out. Yeah, I'll do it. And I would, that's when I would get the most nervous because I'd start making, I'd, I'd overcommit. And I got in trouble overcommitting before because I would commit to things that I couldn't do. So hindsight is 2020. I would definitely be a little bit more cautious of, of what I commit to, but I also attribute the overcommitment. to why I became so uh, multifaceted and, and learned so many different things, because I would just, just commit to everything and, and try to learn it. And that was always like, the anxiety in my stomach when I would say like yeah I can build a you know a video site you know hosting videos with clickable chapters sure I can do that and then meanwhile I'm like I have no idea how to do that so I'm at home like struggling staying up all night drinking coffee watching videos buying courses trying to figure it out but it's it's all a part of the growth but man that for me is, is something that I remember, I clearly remember the days when I would take jobs that I had no idea how to do and and have to figure it out. And again, it's, it's like, it's 50 50 on how I feel. I feel it was a big part of my growth, but I also feel like it was, it was a lot of speed bumps where the anxiety associated with it was like hectic.
1: So what piece of advice would you give to the younger Aaron, when you started your entrepreneur, journey? Thats something that you look back right now, be like, "Oh, wow, that would be handy back then Not that you want anything different because you have to to be where you're at today, you have to live, yeah, all your experience, but just looking back, if you could see an entrepreneur like in a very similar situation, what would you tell them?
2: The first thing I would probably say is to do more research on topics that you're going to be working on and to read. And the second thing that I would say is probably to slow down. So that's something I've learned uh as i've gotten older and i'm still learning every day like i tell people i'm dumb man like i i gotta keep i gotta keep learning every day and slowing down is a a big thing i I always tried to move fast and and sometimes you want to get things done quickly and it comes with imperfections that are going to cost you down the road so i would rush through something and i would do it improperly and then months later it would come back to bite me you know whether it was software on a website whether it was a cheap way to, to do something. If, if, so, if anyone listening knows about websites, it's like installing like a cheap widget to be able to do something on the site and not doing it properly. It, it just kind of came back to bite me. So research and slowing down, go hand in hand. Uh, that's probably something I would tell myself. Cause I definitely still to this day have a habit of like, I like to get things done. I, I like to get things done yesterday. That's my favorite saying. You know, and, and that kind of comes to from having another mentor, Michael Zenga, his, his favorite thing to say, he might get mad at me for putting him on the spot here, but I would be like, uh, yeah, you want me to do that? He'll, he would always laugh. He's super nice. He'd be like, yeah, you can do it, but it would have been better if it was done yesterday, but that's okay. <laughs> and so I, I kind of like took that mentality and and uh, ran with it. But I think slowing down and doing more research on things is,
1: is really important. Cool. Let's change gears. Let's talk a little bit about jiu-jitsu. So what are some of the big inspirations as far as instruction that you have that influence your style of teaching?
2: Yeah. So for for teaching, it's a little different. For my style of like how I roll, I always had this dream of being a mixture of Marcelo Garcia and Jafa Mendez. Those are the two guys that I got my brown belt from Marcelo. Those are the two guys that I like idolized and I just wanted to be more, excuse me, more like them. My teaching style. Uh, it probably comes from my first coach in the gi, who was a, uh, he's a black belt under Marcelo, and he gave me all my belts. He he gave me my Brown with Marcelo. Basically it's a odd story. Marcelo was supposed to come to a seminar and promote me to Brown with him. And uh, unfortunately he didn't. So he called Marcelo and was like, Hey, you know, I, Marcel ran in trouble can I promote him with your blessing and Marcel was like yes let's give Aaron the brown belt and so he did and then called me and it was like on the phone it was it was pretty cool but Khan is the guy's name Khan Ying and Khan is in my opinion and I'm biased obviously but in my opinion he's the best instructor I know he's the best instructor I've ever known and you know, he's a Ivy League school graduate. He, he has a degree from Columbia University. His undergrad was Cornell University. He's a very well-read and a very well-educated guy. He's an average jiu-jitsu practitioner with three kids. Uh, I don't know his age now, so Khan's going to listen to this for sure, and he's going to be pissed at me. I think he's in his 40s still. And uh, sorry about that. When I met him, he was in his 40s. And he basically just was very well uh, articulated when he taught, he he had just a way of translating information that was really, really good. So I would, I would always look at him and watch him teach. And I was fascinated by how well the students understood it. And I was like, I want to emulate that somehow. And so when I would start teaching, I would ask for pointers. I would use a lot of the same phrases that he would say, like, here's a silly example. He would always use the term precarious, right? He would say, when you're doing this submission, you're in a precarious position because you're your foot is exposed, and there's some vulnerability. And so I listened to the the verbiage, and I was like, okay, I, I wanna, I need to to take that verbiage. I need to use it because it really, really demonstrates in a very transparent way what's going on, and that's what I want to do. And so, like, if you heard him teach, because a lot of people are like, you're such a good teacher on YouTube, and that's nice. And I I think I'm not, but it is what it is. I think he's really good. If they watched him teach, they'd be like, I see, I see the resemblance for sure. So. You
1: know, and what did you say? A difference between the beginning of your YouTube journey, teaching, and then you notice that things that you you felt like you're doing better since the beginning, and that's everything from showing to working the camera, you know, like the whole experience with that.
2: Sorry, what would I say from the beginning?
1: Yeah, like when you start doing your your videos on YouTube, and and looking now what are some of the differences that you see that you're doing a better job than the beginning when you start oh. teaching on YouTube? And, and and that would be like good tips for people who teach on YouTube as well.
2: Gotcha, yeah, sorry, I misunderstood. So I, the first thing is is camera shyness, right? In the beginning, I can tell I was a little bit more contained. I was a little bit hesitant to show my personality. My wife would always help me film and she would always look at me and say, you need to show your personality more. People will like you. And I was like, I know, but like, I don't, you know, I, I joke around sometimes when I teach, I try to laugh. I smile a lot because I enjoy it. I, I love what I'm doing. And to show that authenticity, I think, is my biggest tip to people who do YouTube. Whether you're funny, sarcastic, witty, whatever your, um, whatever your personality is, let that emulate in the way that you teach because people will cling to it. And I, I realize that with YouTube, it's, it's a virtual way of translating information. And in the virtual world, it's hard for us to build that person to person relationship. So the more that you allow yourself to express your personality, the more your subscribers feel they actually know you. And so I'm still not where I want to be as far as showing my personality 100% and, you know, laughing with my subscribers. But I want to feel as though like when I'm teaching, I'm teaching to a friend and you know and I I hope that my subscribers was would consider me somebody that we would get along with and, and be friends because I just I just try to show that and again I attribute a lot of that you know success to my wife with YouTube because she would always get at me like show your personality more be funnier be yourself people will like you and in the beginning when I watched my early videos back to your question I could definitely tell I was contained that was like the main thing as far as like Teaching ability, I I think a lot of the things I taught, I would still teach relatively similar. Obviously, we're always learning, always evolving. I say when you teach a technique twice, you teach it better. When you teach it a third time, you teach it even better. So the more you teach the same technique, the better it's going to get. But I think for the actual video content, just emulating my personality more and just being who I really am. Because, uh, you know, if if I'm sure people that have taken classes with me will listen to this podcast when I'm in person, I think that I definitely try to make the class really fun and, and even funny in a way. So that, that's something that I would try to.
1: Now, besides the class you know, training jiu-jitsu, how you study jiu-jitsu, do you look more into instructionals, tournament breakdowns, how you like to study?
2: So you would be surprised, I, at a, as a blue belt, I did actually watch a lot of YouTube videos. Uh, once I got to purple, I actually, I probably from fanatics only watched, you know, maybe four or five out of the thousand there, because when I watch them, I watch them. Like I watch it and I watch it again and I watch it again and I watch it again. And I take notes because I always miss something. I always miss something. And I think I don't miss it, but the more that I watch it, like, for example, if you watch a John Danaher, you know, video, it's 20 minutes on one technique regardless of whether or not you think you may be able to understand the the technique in its entirety after watching it once, I'm doubtful that anybody could. So to hear, you know, his interpretation of it, I would watch it, watch it again, and write it down. And other than that, the the way that I learned most personally was actually flow rolling with uh, people that were a little bit less skilled than I was but to see their skills. So for example, if I was a purple to roll with a blue and if I was a brown to roll with a purple at at a lower pace for myself to try to understand exactly what's going on. When I say lower pace, I mean like 75, 80%. I, I don't mean like, you know, 20, 30%, but those roles, when I can remember every little subtlety and nuance that happened in the role helped me the most, I think. Now there's two different types of of progression right there's your competitive progression which i think is very associated with confidence cardio tenacity you know how hard can you go for how long can you go that hard and then there's the technical progression which is exactly what it says the technique how well can you do a technique how well do you know it how well do you understand it so for my technical progression the flow rolls going a little bit slower and, and trying to remember everything were the best because when I go to a competition class and I roll with guys, my, my uh, skill level are better and it's, you know, try to kill each other, kill or be killed. Sometimes I don't even remember the role because I'm allowing my instinct to take over and I'm reacting. And so I can't really go home and analyze that as well as I could, if I roll in a flowy state. So again, there's in my, in my opinion, and I've talked about this with my students, there's two different types of progression, right? There's that competitive progression where how well do you perform at your best artist? And then there's your technical progression because sometimes, and I think you would agree with this, the most technical guys don't even compete. They're just in the gym because they just wouldn't compete well. They go to the competition and it's just different. It's it's, it's just, you know, how much, I truly believe the competition is 90% mental. I think if you go to the, the worlds at purple, brown or black, A lot of those guys have the ability to win. Their skill levels are very well matched. Obviously there's always gonna be exceptions, but I think that it goes down to who's gonna be able to perform on that day. Who's got a clear head that's gonna go in there and and be able to execute. And so again, I've seen guys in the gym that are like incredible. I mean, they, they kill everyone in the gym. Their technique is flawless and then they go to the tournament and it's just, they choke for whatever reason. I'm not judging them for it, but they do. And so again, Competitive progression, technical progression. My my technical progression comes a lot from those roles.
1: Yeah, I always mention about the IBJJF, the GI Worlds. When you, I mean, for you to make to the second day, you know, to be in the final eight, man, all those guys are in shape. All those guys are so well prepared technically. Something's gonna have to make the difference. And definitely the mental who is gonna be able to perform like they do at the academy. And that yeah. is a, and that is a it's, a, it's not an easy thing. And the guys that can do that consistently, uh, they're one of the best guys in the world. Um, I always mention, you know, like probably two uh, two close friends of mine for people who maybe you're new to Jiu Jitsu, not familiar. But Victor Shaolin and Hobson Moore, Victor Shaolin is a three-time world champion. He has an academy in New Jersey and New York and Hobson Moore has a school. He's a five-time world champion. He lives in Tampa. There are two guys that I had the opportunity, we trained together in Brazil back in the nineties and be able to see like, man, look at those guys training. And then you look at them competing like, oh my God, they're doing the exact same thing. There's no hesitation. And Hobson was even to a different level, somehow he, he of course he trains well but he would get to perform even better it's just crazy yep. to see like it's like it's like he turned a notch up with the speed and everything he does it's just very very strange to even try to explain but i would notice like man there's a there's an extra speed going on here and be able to do this with consistency is not by accident that he won as a black belt five time which is uh rare to see to be able so what are some of the guys that you you had opportunity to maybe train or watch training and then see like wow this guy's a great performer where whatever he's doing at the academy he's actually pulling it off at the tournament
2: yeah i mean i've had a lot of people that i've been fortunate to train with uh some of them you know are not even like well-known world class guys but i have friends of mine like a friend of mine named austin who would do local tournaments and just sweep the floor every time at the lower belts and my friend Stuart, they didn't even compete like competitively when i say competitively i mean like the upper echelon the worlds the pans the nogi worlds the nogi pans, etc but they would go to local tournaments and there would happen to be a pan champion in their division at blue or purple and they would kill him and i would just be shocked like and ask them why don't they compete and they're like oh i just do it for fun and i think some of the guys had almost no pressure You know, they just went in there just with no pressure and did well. From a competitive aspect, you know, like I said, the Mendez brothers for me were incredible. Those were guys that I personally didn't train with, but I watched hours upon hours of rolling footage and competition footage. And I would see the footage of them rolling in the gym, and then I would see them rolling in the competition. And similar to what you mentioned about Hops and Mora, it was like they were better in the tournament. I mean, it, it was incredible to watch. So those were guys that were super influential for me. And uh, at Bernardos, I trained with uh, a lot of guys that, you know, did really well in competition. My friend, Giancarlo Badoni, who just won the no-gi black belt pants just last weekend. It was his first uh, black belt pants at no-gi, I believe. He had won brown belt the year before. He's a guy that, like, he's a guy that I look up to. He's a good friend of mine. We both taught at the academy together. Because in the gym, he has such a good attitude. He trains super well. But man, when like again with Hobson, when he goes to the tournament, he performs even better, and it's it's pretty incredible to see. And, and he's a very technical guy, so you know guys like that have always inspired me.
1: Uh, I just remember thinking about like that no pressure type of deal. Um, of course, if being for everyone's listening, maybe you don't know much about the story of, of BJ Penn, but yeah, he. He won the worlds with what, like maybe he got his black belt with three and a half years of training, just crazy. But before that, in ninety, uh, I think was, I think it might be in ninety eight, he went to to the world to compete as a blue belt. He ended up losing the the finals of the the blue belt. I believe it was nineteen ninety eight. Um, and then his brother Regan went there to watch him. He was a white belt he wanted to watch. And then when he was there, Sheruto, which is a friend of mine that was teaching in, in Hawaii, was instructor. So like, man, why don't you compete? You're ready here, I'll give you a blue belt to win. So I don't know if you know, but Reagan Penn, he won the lightweight, he won six matches that really? day. Yeah. I
2: did not know that.
1: That's and that wild. Yeah. So there'd be like, you know, joking That's around, funny. you know, like one is like all pumped up. I'm here to compete. You know, it takes second. And, and by the way, never competed again i think he competed maybe once or twice in another small tournament he was just a computer guy you know just didn't have the interest of like really pursuance like it's not my thing you know but be able to go so relaxed and just do what he does
2: i know that's those are the exact guys that i'm talking about that i i was fortunate because where i trained was gamesville florida for a while in the geek and so what we would have is we would have a lot of transient students that were in master's programs at the university of florida Or they were, you know, TAs, teacher's assistants, trying to become professors. And I mean, transient by, they were just there for two, three years. And they would come and train, and they were killers, and a local tournament would come by. They were full-time students, you know, in master's programs, PhD programs, so they couldn't compete much. But they would go to this local tournament in Orlando. I would see their division, and I I was in the scene. So I'm like, man, that guy, he just got second at the PANS. So, you know, he's just here probably to, to practice for, you know, a bigger tournament. And then my friend would kill him and I'd be like, what's going on here? Like, and then I would tell him, man, come, come to the worlds with me or something. No, 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 I can't. I got finals. I got, and I, I just didn't get it. But those, to me, that, that mentality was fascinating to me. Exactly like that story you just told. That's freaking crazy.
1: Yeah. What would you say? I don't know if some of the best piece of advice for the white belts that you share on your channel. So one of the things that you like to share with them, you know, for someone that is listening right now and, you know, just trying to get, you know, the first steps in, in jujitsu, what regarding to training? So what do you like to share with them?
2: Well, I like to tell white belts not to be so hard on themselves. I see so many get so mad at themselves all the time, which is a natural progression for jujitsu, right? They say it makes you humble as you, you learn. But I think from the start, you know, It's so cliche to say this because I feel like a lot of people would say it, but one, don't be so hard on yourself and two, have fun. I've always told people in the end of the day, and people don't like that I say this, but you're paying for the jujitsu. You know, it's money, it's hard-earned money that you're paying the jujitsu. You should have fun. If you're not having fun, you know, maybe it's not for you. Like every day you go to the gym, it should not every day, obviously take it with a grain of salt, but the majority of the times you go, I think you should be doing it to enjoy it. Sometimes I even see, you know, competitors that are They don't seem happy like at all. They're pushing themselves so hard. And I get that. You have a goal. You want to attain it. But, you know, one one thing I saw, I'm getting off topic and I apologize, but something incredible I saw that legitimately, you know, you have those moments. I think this could be attributed to a lot of people with an entrepreneurial personality or maybe just people in general. But you have those moments where you read a quote or you see a 30-second video where you see somebody do something and it just resonates with you and you just never forget it. Well one of those moments for me and again I apologize for getting off topic but I think this can apply to white belts. Is Mikey Musa Messi who I've trained with a lot when he was in Boston and uh, I look up to because he's the current black belt world champion at my weight class which is light feather but he he won the worlds three times as a black belt. And he one day posted a status that was very very uh, open saying that after he won the worlds at black belt he went into an extremely deep depression you know, to the point where he was lost. And he articulated it, because he's a good writer, uh, really well on Facebook. And to summarize what he said, and I hope I'm not butchering this, Mikey, but he basically said that his whole entire life he had worked and devoted so much time and effort to attain this goal where he thought that the world would just stop when he got it. And he, he suffered, he, he went through days that he hated, you know, he cried, he puked, he did it all. And then he finally achieved that goal. And that day everyone congratulated him. And guess what? The next morning, life went on. He woke up, he made his breakfast, he went to training, and nothing changed. it wasn't like boom, you win the lotto or something. So he realized, you know, like, did I was all this worth it? Did I sacrifice all this for it? And to summarize that status again, he ended up saying that he he's happy with everything he did, but he didn't do it for the right reasons. He should do it just because it makes him happy, not because he wants to do it. And then he went forward and said, he's going to take that mentality of doing it just because he's happy. And that if he's not happy, he won't do it. And he won two more black belt world titles. And if you watch that kid train, he's the happiest kid in the room. He's always smiling. And so I think that's an important message. And it's good to have role models like that. You know, it, it, we, we put so much pressure on different things. Everybody, whether it's a, a personal goal or a jiu-jitsu goal, And white belts specifically to bring it back to your original question, put a lot of pressure on themselves, you know, to do well, and they've never done the sport and they get really upset when they go home. So I think just have fun, man, just enjoy the journey because every month you're going to look back and you're going to have progress every month, every month, you're going to look back and say, man, I'm a different person on the mats. And, and that's important. I always tell white belts after they roll with a guy, if I'm watching the class, like a blue belt that beats him up, taps him three, four times. I always pull him aside if I watched it and I can tell they're bothered. I'm like, look, man, in one year, two years, that's going to be you doing it to another new guy. And the circle of, of jujitsu is going to continue to flow. So stick with it. And I promise you, you're going to be right there, man. And, and I think that's, that's something that a lot of them need to hear because I want to see the light that they're going to get better in the beginning. I remember me in the beginning, I was like, this is, the hardest thing I've ever done this is not going to get easier and it did it got a lot easier so
1: right on what about one of the best piece of advice that you have received on a map? something that stood out with could it could be when you're a white belt could it be recently but maybe it's someone that is super experienced that shares something with you like huh I like that and you you kept any concept any technique or what do you say
2: You know, when you say that, the first thing that comes to mind might sound silly, but I was rolling with my friend, Charles Harriet, who's a, he's, he's a very well-known black belt for his instructionals and his, he's a BJ Globetrotters instructor. And I was rolling with him. And uh, one day my friend Raul, who was a blue belt, who won a bunch of IBJJF stuff and myself, I was a blue belt. We were both light featherweight. Charles was a Brown. He came in to visit us. And he's like, let's do back control drills. I want to see you guys, you know, we'll do three minutes on my back. And I want to see if you can submit me. And, you know, he was a brown belt at the time. So I was like, okay, this is my chance to submit a brown belt. So I went with him and he would get out. And then my friend Raul, who I always, you know, like went head to head with same weight, same age, same everything, uh, tapped him. And then I went again and he got out. And then Raul went again and tapped him. I was like, man, Raul's tapping a brown belt, like left and right. And we went again, same, same result. And so Charles comes up to me and goes, Hey man, Raul's tapped me every time. You haven't got me once. I was like, yeah, I, I see that. I'm right here, man. And he was like, it's because you have longer legs and you're so flexible in your groins. He's like, you're keeping your knees open way too wide. He's like, squeeze your knees as tight as possible. Keep your heels pinched and I won't get out. And so I, I did again and I tapped him. And then I did it again and I tapped him. And then every day for the rest of my life, when I would take somebody's back, I just remembered that. And it, like that's you know, one little concept squeeze the knees, keep the heels pinched super tight, and just compensate for your body type. Man, to this day, like I feel like my back control maybe I don't know, maybe it just clicked because I was so mad that Raul was getting him and I wasn't. <laughs> that's probably what actually happened. But I feel like back control is like my strong point now. Like if I get the back, man, it's it's pretty hard to get out
1: cool you know hey uh give me one maybe a topic and i can look if you want to recommend me say like hey one of my favorite videos that i shot and then that would be for me and for the listeners anyone gonna check it out what are some of the videos that are like you pattern your back so like man i think i did a good job with this with this video sharing a concept
2: so there's Mm -hmm. one where Sometimes you make a video, man, and you think it's gonna blow up, you're like, man, this is such <laughs> a good video. This is gonna change everyone's game, and then it goes and you get like the least views you've ever gotten. I'm just like, what? And uh, one video that I shot and I was like, this one's good, it's gonna do good because it's never not it's never good when I say that, actually became one of my most viewed videos, and it's ankle picks from everywhere. And, uh, it was, uh, I did something different instead of filming privately in one of the upstairs rooms. I told my wife to just film me teaching the class. So I taught a class at Bernardo's it was an hour and a half class. And the topic was ankle picks. And I always like to pick a topic and try to expand on it throughout the class, like most instructors. And she got all the sequences in it. And I feel like that's a very, very useful video for anybody who wants to implement ankle picks. It's the roadmap is there. Just go there watch it and get a really good idea of how to start doing it right away. Cool.
1: So ankle will, picks from everywhere. I will check it out. One thing about reading, do you have the habit of reading all kinds of different stuff or personal development or business or whatever?
2: Yeah. What is
1: What is a book that has made a big impact on you? Different moment, of course, different books, different moments of your life, but a book that, that could have helped someone in their entrepreneurial journey?
2: So one book that I really like, uh, it's actually sh- like sitting on my shelf over there. I want to say the, na- I know the name is Blink. I don't, I forgot the author. It's it's a really famous author. I don't, I don't want to get up and go look, but Blink was the book. And the book was basically about how your first instinct is usually correct. So for example, if somebody asks you, let me try to find a way to make the example here. Um, like even if, if, uh, if it's like a memory thing, you know, like, I'm trying to think of how to, how to explain it. Your your first thought is usually correct in a sense of like, if somebody asks you a math problem really quick, like, you know, what's five times five and really quickly something comes to your head, it's probably correct. If you start to overthink it, sometimes you'll be wrong, right? So if they say, what's five times five? And you're like, oh, and 25. It, and it's obviously it's 25. It's a simple thing, but that first instinct is, is correct. And it had all the statistics supporting the analysis and the hypothesis of why that is. And it's a useful way to become more decisive. And so the reason that that book impacted me so that people understand, again, the context is I've always dealt with indecision. Indecision, my father used to tell me because you know he's a successful businessman, and I was the most indecisive kid ever. Like, I mean, he would be like, "What do you want? Do you want, you know, vanilla ice cream or chocolate?" I'd be like, well, if I got vanilla, I can't have chocolate. <laughs> but if I got chocolate, I can't. And it would be like an hour-long thing. And so he would always be like, "Aaron, indecision is a decision. So you're done." And you know, you know, what do you want to get at the store? This or that? I don't. Know. Indecision is a decision. Indecision is a decision. So I heard that so much, and I I wanted to, you know more confidence to become more decisive and man that book i'm very decisive now and uh i just trust my gut my instinct a lot obviously take it with a grain of salt right everything with a grain of salt but that was a great book
1: and there's a book uh there it triggered me to remind me of the mel robbins book the the five second rule i don't know if you ever heard of that
0: that's no, not
1: yeah, which is really cool. I, uh, I listened to audiobook a few times. She was awesome, but it was basically on that you have like a good five seconds to like, until you get the, the time that the chatter and stuff come in here. Like, wait a minute, but this, you know, it's like the first one, boom, comes in. And then she always, uh, she'll think about it. She started with this when she had a, um, she always, she was going through a rough time in life, but she was always like hitting this news. So she's she started getting that, like, okay, tomorrow, I'm going to five, four, three, two, one. I'm just going to launch out of bed, you know, because yep. by the five second, like, okay, you need to go up. If you're not like, oh know, well, maybe I can sleep a little bit more. And then you start yeah. kind of like, all oh, right, I'm in, you know? So it's kind of like, you know, you need to get up. Let's go. Don't give it time. So it's a cool book to check it out. It's uh, entertaining. Um, and she, she's been around all kinds of, you can find a bunch of, bunch of stuff on YouTube with her sharing.
2: Man, I'll her, probably her read these- that because- I love that. I love that theory from Blink. And it sounds the same. And you you never know, you never know when somebody is going to throw something at you that you need to make a very important decision that can impact the rest of your life. I mean, I've done jobs where I'm talking to a friend of a friend, like, here's a good example. Uh, Like a year ago, I was at dinner with my father in law and a friend. And he's a big guy in the boating industry. And there's a lot of money in the boating industry. And they were all talking about, um, you know, boats. And one guy was like, Oh, could you help me build a website and do this? and i'm like i mean i guess i haven't i hadn't i hadn't done consultation in a while and i know that my rate could be higher if i did it and so we're just talking and he's like okay well what does it cost and then he's like man i gotta make a quick whatever i say now even if i don't work with him or i do he's gonna use it against me so if i say oh it's 200 bucks an hour that's gonna be the bar that i set, or 50 bucks an hour so you got like you said you got five seconds to make a good decision and, and you just the first thing that comes to your head is probably the right one it's probably what you feel comfortable with doing and so
1: you never know when you're going to need to make a quick decision. Cool, cool. All right, you're getting close to the end of the interview. So tell us, man, what's exciting going on? What do you got projects that you have? So let us know. Man, so,
2: you know, everything with Fanatics is is just growing at a, a very fast rate. I could tell you from my perspective, because I'm the one in charge of it, we're launching 100 different instructionals per month. And Jeez. it just keeps on going. And I'm filming three new instructionals at the end of June. Um, I, we didn't get to touch on this because it's not related to anything, but I'm obsessed with fishing. So I've got a lot of fishing things going on. I just wrote an article in one of the biggest fishing magazines. So it's cool that I think I opened some doors there. Right on. Um, there might be a fishing instructional coming. So there's a lot going on, you know, training jiu-jitsu, black belt debut. Uh, hopefully we get a brick and mortar for Rise K-9. It's, uh, just keep pushing along and just trying to open new doors and my YouTube, I've got some big plans for it that I don't want to spoil yet, but I could tell you that there might be some pretty nice mats coming to my garage with a logo and some pretty nice camera gear. So there's, I hope there's going to be growth on all fronts.
1: Right on, man, man. Congratulations on all your endeavors. You know, you're definitely a hustler making it happen in every different angle, trying to grow and, been following as i mentioned not as long but maybe a couple probably since you started because i don't know exactly when but i know that i've been watching your videos for a little bit and man i'm going to put some links for people to check it out and any final words and we can wrap it up
2: man i want to thank you for having me uh i've actually known about your thing uh for a very long time because i believe i might be mistaken but i trained with a guy so i'm from fort myers Florida. And I went to school in Gainesville. And every summer, I would come home for three months, and I would train with Marcelo Pereira.
1: Yes, so, yes, yes. He's I'm in Naples sure now, you, right?
2: Yeah, I'm pretty sure you know him, because I swear yeah. I've seen pictures with you.
1: Yes, he's from Nova too. Uh, Black Belt, former yeah. world champion. Badass. Yes,
2: sir. Yeah, he is a He's one of the best guys I've ever trained with, because he was a rooster yeah. weight. But anyways, yeah, I knew about BJ Mental Coach back then and stuff. Like I'm talking years ago, so you've been grinding for a while, man. Mm-hmm. i remember seeing pictures of i believe it was you him um bruno bastos Hobson, just a ton of you guys and mm-hmm. it's crazy that i'm here now talking to you and it's uh it's awesome man
1: cool right on i appreciate it buddy and everyone keep in touch if you have any questions you can always send me a message go can send me usually i'm on instagram gustavo dantas bjj and i'll see you all soon oh sky see ya